0: Hey, everyone, this is Josh Itso, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 36 of the Fiduciary You podcast. You are in for a treat with today's guests. You heard me correctly, guests as in plural. This is actually the first episode with multiple guests, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Joining me for the show today to discuss social media marketing are Jeannie Sutton and Jake Rushton from SRP. Jeannie, aka 401k lady, and Jake, aka 401 Jake, who recently made the switch to SRP, are two of the biggest social media stars and personal brand builders in the retirement industry. On this episode, we cover a lot of territory about social media strategies and execution. We discuss why they each got involved in social media marketing, their goals and objectives, the audiences they're trying to reach, the importance of building a personal brand, where they get their ideas from and how they prepare their content, Some of the tools they use to make the editing and content creation easier, how to make compliance your ally and not your enemy if you want to get more active on social media, why not every advisor actually needs to be highly engaged on social media, but someone on their team should be, and much, much more. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary U Podcast with 401k Lady and 401 Jake. Jimmy Sutton and Jake Rushton, thank you so much for being on the Fiduciary U podcast. I'm super pumped about today's conversation.
1: Thanks, Josh. Glad to be here.
0: This is the first time I've ever had multiple <laughs> guests on the Fiduciary U podcast, which I'm really excited about. But uh, for listeners out there, there may be some awkward pauses as Jeannie and Jake are figuring out who's gonna speak first. So <laughs> bear, bear, up, bear with us. You know, we're gonna talk today about marketing and specifically social media marketing and personal brand building. And if I think about really within the 401k industry, the two of you are like social media marketing royalty. Uh, I would say that, that the two of you probably is better than anybody else in the, the retirement industry have really built these personal brands. Um, Jeannie, you, AKA 401k lady, Jake, AKA 401 Jake and, and you guys have been incredibly active over the past several years. You guys have a great presence, a great following. And what's really cool is now you guys are under the same brand at SRP, with Jake uh, just recently announcing his move over there. And so uh, really interested in getting kind of your insights and and your perspectives. And so why don't we just kind of dive in and we'll kind of see where the conversation goes. But what was it that attracted you? You know, there's a lot of different ways to market in the industry. What was it for each of you that attracted you to this idea of really leveraging uh, social media, certainly LinkedIn, but but also things like whether it be Facebook or whether it be Instagram. Jake, I know you're big on uh, you're big on TikTok. What was it that originally for each of you got you so inspired as as a marketing channel like this to leverage?
1: Yeah, Jeannie, you go first.
2: (laughs) So I think I just stumbled into it. When I started in the career, everybody told me to get credibility. I needed to write a book, like you need to write a book. And so I started trying to write a book and I got so frustrated one day and eventually was like, it's just a lot easier for me to talk than it is for me to write. Like that was natural to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to film videos about a certain topic or to answer a question. And really, they started on YouTube primarily. And I was like, hey, I might as well toss this out on LinkedIn. And that served me well. So I, I, it was more so like just it was easier for me to talk. And then I just thought, hey, I will toss it on LinkedIn and happened to use 401k lady one day. Uh, and it just stuck. And it, it worked out well.
0: Awesome. What about you, Jake?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I started listening to podcasts and I came across this podcast by Pat Flynn. And... I think one of the second or third episodes I listened to, he had Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk on his show. And it just changed how I thought about everything. I mean, it just really like the way that he was talking about... This was back when Snapchat was huge. And it was like, he just was drilling it into the audience's head that you had to do more content and that he was going to explode. And I had never heard of the guy. And this was really early on, you know, when me Vayner- He was just getting going too. And so from that moment is when I really started to pay attention to social media. And honestly, it just started with LinkedIn. I went with this goal of posting once a week. I called it my Thursday thoughts. And I just, whatever I was doing, whatever was in my mind that week, I shared it on Thursdays on LinkedIn and just put it out there and see what happened.
0: We're going to talk as we get into this a little bit about the process that, that you guys follow uh, when you develop content, because you guys both are really, really good, not just with the thoughts and the idea and the content, but production value as well. And and I think, you know, a lot of advisors, the conventional wisdom that you hear from every consultant is you have to do, you know, you have to do video, you have to do social media, which I think maybe we'll talk about maybe every advisor shouldn't be following that, that conventional wisdom. But I do think advisors probably struggle a little bit with, well, how do I get started? And so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Maybe a good place to start, though, is what's your goal when you create content? Is it kind of top-of-the-funnel lead gen with planned sponsors? Is it thought leadership? Is it being viewed as a leader within the industry? Is it engaging with you know participants? Is it validating kind of your position as a leader to your existing clients? Is it all of the above? For each of you, what are your primary goals that you're trying to achieve or the outcomes you're trying to achieve by creating this content?
1: Yeah, I, for me, it's about impact. So I, I do it with the mindset that I just want to give back, that I want to share with people what I'm up to. Because I struggled, right? As a 4K as a advisor, it's a lonely process for a lot of us where we kind of fall into this. I was an advisor for 10 years. I didn't figure it out until way later in my career that 4K was where I wanted to be. And at that point, it was like a whole new career. I had to learn this entire new language. I had to reach out to all these people, figure out who could help me, realizing some people were not telling me everything. And it was just, it was a total like learning process that i felt like my clients suffered. So for me i just want to give back. I want to help more people have a better chance to get more time back to get further in their careers, to do more that they want to do. But in the end the winners in that process are the plan sponsors, the participants, the the clients that we work with. When you have a specialty advisor that has had training and experience which doesn't really exist out there, then they're going to they're going to be able to help them a lot quicker. So that's that's what's motivated me. What about you, Jeannie?
2: It's the same goal that I had in 2012. I found an old business plan. I actually posted on LinkedIn a couple of years ago. One page, Word document. The number one goal was to be known as the 401k specialist in South Central Kentucky. Like that was what, that was my goal. So to establish credibility, to have thought leadership, to have people recognize that's the one, that's the person who knows about 401k that can help me whether it be somebody in the industry or a plan sponsor or an existing client. So everything I post is really meant to be from an educational perspective. It's meant to, to provide knowledge. And like my, kind of the way I phrase it is to simplify an overcomplicated jargon-filled industry. So every post is kind of with that simplifying and overcomplicated jargon-filled industry.
0: Yeah, Woody Guthrie once said that any fool, can make simple things complex, but true genius is making the complex simple. So, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for you, Jeannie, the fact that that was kind of in that, that kind of local, more localized area, obviously it's um, become uh, much more, much more national, but getting started and really kind of what those, what those goals are, I, I really do. And I've always kind of followed this in my career is actually the best way to learn is to teach. And, you know, a educated prospect or client is typically going to be a highly engaged client or prospect and a highly engaged client or prospect is going to be a retained, you know, client over time. Are you seeing much top of the funnel lead gym? Is this kind of the primary way you're developing business or are you seeing it as kind of one piece of the puzzle with a number of other, other activities that you're following? And if so, what are those? How do you see what you do on social as fitting into the overall kind of strategy or puzzle? Jeannie, why don't you go first?
2: Yeah, so we have seen some. We do get, you know, LinkedIn messages from cold people that say, hey, we're looking at starting a plan or, or something like that. It's not, you know, the bread and butter of what you're putting on social media. And to be honest, as we've moved up market in 401k, especially, you know, most of that's not necessarily our ideal prospect or client. So it, it is there, but that's not that's not the goal. The goal is to reinforce credibility is to when somebody does see us out or we do have a prospect for them to have a place to go to see again, oh, they do know what they're talking about, you know, that sort of thing. So that's the goal. It's it's, it's the branding. It's not necessarily the lead generation.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think awareness. Awareness is a big part of it, right? So the, the point is if somebody... Refers you in, maybe an HR person tells another HR person at a conference, if there's if they go to their phone and look you up and there's nothing there for them to find, like you've kind of missed the shot that you had. So you want to get that why me, why our firm out of the way before you step into that meeting, because trying to convince them in an hour is not going to be a very good scenario. So you've got to have a lot of content or at least some content for them to find to get a feeling of if you're somebody they can relate to, if they can trust, if they even emotionally want to have you around, because that's going to help them make that decision. They're going to always, they're going to justify the decision to hire you based on the knowledge you have, but they're going to emotionally have to make that decision of whether or not they want to be, you know, spending time with you about their 401k.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. You know, I don't know about you guys, but the way that I buy, things now. Just look at Amazon, right? I was before we, a little bit earlier today, I was at Home Depot because I needed to get something. And I actually went to Amazon to review the get reviews on the product. (laughs) And then there was a cheaper price. So I went into Home Depot and I saw it and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I want this. Ah, I'm just going to buy it on Amazon because it's going to be cheaper. And the reviews, that's where I got really good kind of reviews for it. There's a lot of due diligence, I think, that especially with 401k plans where it's not like individual money where I'm making. You know, you've got one or two decision makers that are are making the decision for themselves. You've got this complex sale with, you know, committees and these professional buyers. And in a lot of cases, you know, if it's an HR department or if it's the CFO, they're kind of putting themselves on the line if they're going to make a decision. And so part of that is that social proof that's out there. And this is why, like historically, I, th- I think it's gotten better, but for a long time some of the worst websites in the world were financial advisor websites. They were absolutely, it was like geo, it was like a geo city. I was like, my eight year old could like code a better website than what a lot of these advisor websites look like. I still find those. They're still out there. And and if you find somebody or you get referred, you go on and they have a garbage website. Like immediately I think that's going to trigger like, this is not high quality. And, and I think, What I hear you guys saying is in a lot of ways, what you guys do on social, that awareness, in some ways with plant sponsors, it may not be, you know, top of the funnel lead gen, but it's more of that social proof that if they get referred in or they find you or they see you, that part of their due diligence process that they can say, Okay, you know, these two people really know what they're talking about. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, yeah, I had that happen in a, in a meeting with an over $20 million plan. You know, A couple of the committee members have been watching, watching my YouTube channel, which was for advisors mainly, but mm-hmm. it gave them enough good feelings and, and like, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. Why are we not hiring him right now? And they voted right there in that meeting. So you never know well, who's going to be watching, and you need to understand the difference between social and search. And that's why I think it's just look at what we're doing. Look at how Jeannie, she posts on her videos on LinkedIn every week. They also go on YouTube. So someone can find them and if they're on LinkedIn scrolling, or they're going to search for it and they're going to find her on YouTube. So understanding where attention is, is a huge part of it, right? Because you'll lose your momentum or even your drive to want to put content out if no one's engaging with it. And you might just not be putting it in the right place, right? So it's a process that takes years to figure out, but we're trying to help others shorten that process.
0: Yeah. What do you find is, you know, there's obviously, like you said, you know, YouTube's the number, I think the number two search engine in like the world behind Google, obviously owned by Google as well. (laughs) And what I hear you guys saying is kind of this multi-channel approach. You've obviously got YouTube, you've got LinkedIn, which is where I kind of see both you guys probably be most active. At least that's where I kind of see you. But you've also got maybe not so much Facebook, but, but things like Instagram or, you know, TikTok. Jake, I know you're a big TikTok guy. What do you find is for what you guys are trying to accomplish? What's the best platform currently for you guys to kind of tell your story? Yeah, take it, Jenny.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's LinkedIn, which I worry sometimes may be short-sighted. You know, should I be doing more on Instagram and TikTok and that sort of thing? I've thought about repurposing content, you know, put out on those platforms. And I made the decision, which right or wrong, that I was going to just really focus on LinkedIn because I did feel like that's where most of the prospective clients were, you know, from just a concentration of market. Again, that may have may be short-sighted in the long run, but just to keep it manageable and, and produce good content specific for a platform, LinkedIn is, of course, where I'm finding the most success.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. LinkedIn is is definitely where I'm having the most traction, but I think the best thing to do is to think, take a step back and think about your personal brand and work on that and put that on every platform, right? At least have, have a profile on every platform. And so that if LinkedIn disappeared tomorrow, I don't disappear. So mm. that's where we're getting people complaining about the algorithms changing and all these other things happening because they were completely reliant on maybe just one platform. So you've got to think about you and what you want to be remembered for and how you want to help people and then broadcast that to wherever the attention is. And I bring up TikTok, like you brought that up, because that's where a lot of attention is going. That's where you get a lot of easy reach to more people that have no idea who you are. LinkedIn, I've got a good little phone, good group. We know a lot of our 401k advisors and, and the people in the industry, their influencers, we all connect and talk to each other and it's a blast. However, there's a lot of other people that may have businesses that are booming that have need help with the 401k or, or have struggles. And if they're scrolling through TikTok because they got sucked into it for a few hours and they come across me... Well, hopefully that's going to create some awareness. And if that's an issue, now I'm kind of in their minds, right? And so they might come back to it when it is a serious decision that they need to make.
0: Yeah. Have you guys, and I think that's always kind of the question. And to be fair, like I've been kind of a TikTok skeptic, mainly if I, not that I'm in that kind of advisor role anymore, but thinking about it, it it's like, well, there may be like participants there, but participants don't make hiring decisions. Maybe they're hanging out on TikTok but where are kind of the buyers, the people who have the power of the pen that can kind of strip the check? I mean, I think the conventional wisdom is LinkedIn. One of the challenges i found with LinkedIn, I don't know about you guys is, and, and, and maybe this is COVID thing, but the amount of like, are you guys getting, I'm getting all this cold sales outreach on LinkedIn. It's actually driving me nuts. I'm like, this is like becoming like Facebook without like the political commentary. But if, I mean, I bet I get 10, Invites a day from just people I, wanting to I, tell me stuff. I'm getting a little desensitized, to be honest with you.
1: I think they're Do cracking work? down. I think that's changing. I've noticed that uh, it started to decline a little bit because I was getting yeah bombarded as well. But I think LinkedIn is is been aware of that and now they're making sure that that's something they want to keep people on the platforms, right? So they got to fix that. So we'll see where that goes. But you're absolutely right. Like marketing and it, it will ruin every platform. Eventually. I'm even seeing way too many ads on TikTok right now, which has me concerned because it's already gone too far that way in some ways.
0: So I'm super popular in the Philippines, by the way. Everybody <laughs> in the Philippines wants, wants wants to connect with me.
1: So Facebook. I don't know what it is. I have a lot of people from the Philippines following the 401 Club on Facebook, and I don't I don't know what's going on with 401k and that term there, but
0: they love it. <sighs> What what do you think, Jeannie, as far as kind of uh, LinkedIn? And do you think because there's so much, you know, I would imagine, you know, I know prospects, right? HR people, they're probably getting bombarded the same way. Do you you worry about them getting kind of desensitized to LinkedIn because they feel like it's just this kind of become this kind of cold outreach cesspool, if you will?
2: Yeah, I, I can't say too much because of a program I'm a part of, but I can tell you that LinkedIn is aware of the cold, particularly the, the messaging. I mm-hmm. can get you 10 to 15 leads a month um, and I know they're working on it. So I think that will be better. But I used to, even just last year, a lot of, if I was trying to reach out to somebody cold, I would do it through LinkedIn messaging and I've pretty much stopped mm-hmm. because I, I think it's now been ruined by these, you know, these cold calls. So it's almost funny. It's like almost like I reverse now And if I'm working on a cold prospect, I'm more likely to actually call them, Mm. right? Like, remember, cold calling was dead, and everything was social, and now I'm like, let's go back to cold calling because LinkedIn messages are driving everybody crazy. Like, nobody's looking at them anymore. So, I think for you to be like on top of your game with social, you gotta constantly like you gotta constantly adjust.
1: And and on top of that, I've adjusted for direct messages because there's so many people cut and pasting messages that are outsourced, they're not really even the the actual person, I send a video or a voicemail. Like That's the difference is I want them to come into my world and actually be aware of me and want to consume my content because it's really me. Like I'm accessible. You can reach me. I'm actually responding to you. That's the difference. When I get spammed, I try to respond to all those and see if there's actually that person behind that DM. And sometimes I have some engagement. Most of the time, though, it's not them. It's a third party. It's some vendor. It's not. It's really you can tell right away. And so, for me, if I can at least get through to them in a way that they'll follow me and see that they're going to get some value from following me, then that's that's a good thing to do. And Jake, I know. So, you, you know, one of my
0: philosophies, just in general, this is how I, I, it's my philosophy at Greenspring back in the day as well, was. Systematize the process, and this is how we serve clients. Systematize the process, but personalize the relationship. And and Jake, I know you're you're big. I mean, I'm I'm a big user of Loom, right? Just being able to kind of record videos and send that out. I know that's something that 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 you've done, Jeannie. I don't know about you as well, but you know, personalizing, and I think maybe, Jake, I've heard you use like video ask as well. There's some platforms. That's a good question. What what are in as you're as you're doing kind of this? creating this content? What are some of the the favorite tools that you guys use? The cool thing about like Loom or some of those other platforms is you can personalize that message. So it's not just this this kind of random, it's clearly kind of a a, a cold automated outreach. What are some of the tools that you guys like to deploy or use as part of your kind of uh, arsenal when you're developing content?
1: Yeah, so I love Loom, like you said, that's a great platform to, to to send a video through email, right? You can tell if they've looked at it or not. You know how to follow up. as far as like video goes, like I use my phone almost all the time. I did just get a center cam, which is I'm excited about because I'm looking at your faces while I'm talking to you instead of a camera, which has been cool. But when I record and I make a video, you can make it look so much more professional just by a couple little things, like adding some sound, adding some music, maybe adding some overlays as you're talking about something. Like, so I use Splice or CapCut. Those are the two editing tools and I do it on my phone because I'm always on the go. I don't have time to sit down on a computer and just sit and edit. I'm like at a kid's practice or whatever. So it's all about speed to me and editing was what was throwing me off and I was not getting stuff out. And then I do love another tool for longer format videos called Script, that is an editing tool, but it, it transcribes the entire video. It puts it into Word format and you can cut out the ums and the uhs and and the pauses, or maybe you want to take a whole section out you didn't like. And it's so much easier than trying to edit on like Adobe or, you know, Final Cut Pro, one of those more professional platforms. So I'm not, I'm not an editor or a videographer, but I don't have enough time or, you know, the budget to hire someone to do it right now. So I'm doing it all. And I've had to rely on technology to help me get those out there. So you'll notice like I posted a video yesterday. You'll know it's a little bit different style. I'm trying to cut those up in a little section. So I'm saying something, I move around. It's a little more engaging. Little tricks like that you just learn along the way and you're not going to know from the very beginning. You see so many advisors that post, you know, a three, four, five minute boring video of them with terrible lighting, the camera's up their nose and it's like, no one's engaging with it. Well, look around at what other people are doing and, and it's not that hard to make some adjustments, right? Make it more fun and engaging and that's- yeah. That just takes a little bit of practice.
0: Jeannie, I know one of the things I like about your videos are that you're talking, but you've got kind of the transcription
1: mm-hmm. that
0: that are in there or that's in there as well. What do you use to do that? Because I think that's to be honest, with the videos I do, I actually don't do that. I, I probably should, but I just don't feel like I have the time. Like you're not writing out that are you writing out that entire, you know, that entire thing yourself, or are you using A platform like like Jake mentioned that kind of automates that for you.
2: My videos are made with the most rudimentary (laughs) (laughs) processes and and systems possible. For me, it was I get interested in this new technology that we're talking about, but I have my process down so pat that like I'm just having trouble breaking away from it. I do. I I spend very little time on production. I spend a lot of time in preparation. I script. The, the big videos that you see, every single one of them is scripted word by word. It doesn't mean that I follow it, but I want my thoughts to be organized. And I try to pack as much information as I can into a three minute video, which often means, you know, answering different questions and going different routes and telling different stories. Um, and I think honestly, I think that that is why people enjoy them so much, because I do try to pack a ton of information in them. So I script generally the day before in Microsoft Word. And then I pull the Microsoft Word document up and I don't read it line by line. I go run through it a couple times in my head and then I can reference it occasionally, but that's all I do.
0: How if- long does it take you, Jeannie, to do like, you know, production wise? How long would you say the average video that you create? Because you seem to do a little, like a little bit longer form, right? Three, four, five minutes, six minutes sometimes. How long from kind of inception of, Idea to, you know, all the way through kind of production and launch. How long does that take? Does the average video take you?
2: So I block, I used to do one a week. I've now taken it back to one every two weeks just because of time constraints. I block from eight to noon on my calendar every other Wednesday. It doesn't always take that entire amount of time. It just depends on the topic and how much research I'm having to do. Mm -hmm. But um, pretty much from eight to noon every Wednesday, I'm scripting filming, editing, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. What about you, Jake? My goal right now is to post daily, but my, I have a different style, right? And I'm mixing a lot of things in there. I'm not just talking to plan sponsors. So I don't do as... I do a lot of prep as far as getting my thoughts together and organized. And I have a huge list. I'm constantly getting ideas and just dropping them into this list so that when I sit down and make a video, I've got it all kind of figured out. So I definitely put the work in to formulate it, but I'm, I'm not trying to provide. I don't want to analyze like the next regulation. I, don't, that's not pe- my passion, right? So you have to follow what you enjoy, and I don't want to be the one to try and get through all of that content. I just refer to Jeannie's video, and she handled it, right? So there, there's a difference, and it's okay because that's you have to have your own style. So it's, it's a process. It's just like, I think exercise or your diet. Like you have to find a way to be consistent and not just spike all the time and try, and then you drop off. Like you have to figure out how to level that out and keep it going for a long time. Otherwise it's just not gonna be effective.
0: Yeah, so what what I hear you guys saying a couple of things is number one, and and for advisors especially that are are listening, is you're building a personal brand. Like you have to find your style and you have to find your voice. And that's more of kind of an internal cue, not necessarily an external cue. I think the other thing is just like, you know, being successful in anything else, you have to develop these rhythms and these habits. If you don't set aside time, whether that means on a daily basis, Jake, the way you're doing it and maybe creating some more kind of bite-sized content or Jeannie, whether you're doing it in, in some, a little bit longer form, you need to set aside time on a regular basis consistently to put the work in. If you don't, you're going to be chasing your tail over and over again. And, and you know, it's just like prospecting. I think what happens with a lot of advisors is, you know, they prospect. And if they do that consistently, we know 401k plans is a long sales cycle, but then I always found in my career that like, uh, it's like, you know, when I was in college playing baseball, like I tended to hit home runs, like in bunches, like I would go 10 games without a home run. And I hit like three home runs in like four games. They came in bunches. And then it was like a desert. I think it's the same thing with prospecting. you get, you know, you prospect consistently, you wind up getting, we used to get, you know, it'd be weird. We get in a quarter, we get three, four, five, six, seven clients, you know, in a quarter. But there'd be a few months of, of, you know, it was just like the desert. But then what happens is you get busy. Now you got to bring these clients on and then you stop prospecting. and, And invariably what would happen with me, I don't know if it's the same with you guys. Like if I didn't prospect for two months straight, there was a gap where we didn't bring on clients for two months straight. So that challenge of being consistent and diligent, I think it's the same way content-wise, if what I hear you guys saying is true, is you have to be disciplined about carving out time. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And I would say carve it out in the in the early part of the day. Don't, yeah. don't leave that to afternoon, you know, oh, this is a dead time. Like do it early when your mind is clear and you can be creative and get it done. And maybe you need to do the editing or whatever later, but get the actual... Footage done and and make that a priority. It's a huge part of your prospecting, even though it's not going to lead to results tomorrow. It definitely will in the long run. It'll pay off. So, just like exercise, just like eating, you have to just make time for it. Like, I love riding my bike and I have so much to do. I could literally work like 24 hours a day every week, you know, for five days a week and still have stuff to do. So, there's never going to be an easy time to get content out. Just realize Mm -hmm. that. There's always going to be emails and calls and texts, so you just have to make it happen and ignore everything else for that hour or that two hours.
2: Turn off your email. Yeah. Like turn off your email. Like you can't have emails dinging. Protect that hour, two hours, whatever you have set aside.
0: There's a uh, a great book. I've referenced it before, but it's by a guy named Nir Ayal. He's like a behavioral designer and it's called Indistractable. It's like a life-changing book for me that I read. But to your point, Jeannie, around distraction, and he has some really cool hacks just even in terms of like turning off notifications on your phone because of the, like you said, you have your email open. So it sounds like you you shut your email down, like you've got your Word document open, you got your camera on, that's what you're doing. You shut everything else down so that you're not getting your attention pulled away while you're focused on creating content. Is that fair?
2: Yeah. Teams is closed. Email is closed. It's like a meeting to me. It's, it's important
1: email has ruined our lives. Like you let email just take over your day right in the beginning. You're, you're never going to make any progress. Like I let's the worst way to get a hold of me is email. <laughs> that's what, that's how I feel about it. And, and that's, I know that's how industry works and that's how we communicate. But I am, if you want to reach me, come to LinkedIn, like that's where you're going to find me. Cause that's where the only place I actually have some alerts, not all of them, just a few, mostly my team now, just to make sure I know when they're doing stuff so I can engage with it, help them. But You've got to control that. Just like social media, you can blame it and say it's full of garbage. Well, you control what you see. So you can control your schedule. Take charge of it. No, you have no one to blame but yourself. You know, if you want to build a personal brand, you have to just start and do it. It's never going to be yeah. easy. Yeah. So you just go. So so you guys have both pretty incredible
0: personal brands. Why are you guys, and, and Jeannie, why don't you go first? Why are you guys passionate about personal brand building? And then also just expectation-wise... You can, people can see where you guys are now, but you know, things that seem like they're an overnight success usually take many years. Like how long did it take you guys to actually get traction? So why are you so passionate that advisors should be building personal brands? And then two, how long did it, did it take you guys? And was there ever a moment where you're like, this crap is so hard. Like, I just want to give up.
2: No, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's hard. I didn't set out to, I set out to be recognized as a specialist, but I didn't set out to create a personal brand. Um, I didn't even know what a personal brand was. 401k lady came from a literal 401k participant who walked into the room and said, is that 401k lady still here? And I was like, okay, that's funny. You know, and it just, it just happened. And I didn't even realize it was happening until I would go to conferences and people would be like, you're the 401k lady, you know? And then I was like, all right, well, let's double down on this. Let's get a logo. Let's trademark it. Let's make a concerted effort to keep it there. But what I can say is it's, it's absolutely worth the effort. You know, Jeannie doesn't necessarily mean anything. Jeannie Sutton Sutton doesn't necessarily mean anything. I had a name change 14 years into my professional career. Really not much of an impact because everybody knows me as the 401k lady. And like, talk about not having to do your elevator pitch, right? Like how self-explanatory is that? I'm the 401k lady. I know things about 401ks. Like it's just made everything so much easier, but it's so much more than the hashtag. It's people being like, I feel like I already know you, right? It's it's whether they're in the industry or whether they're a prospect, They've seen me. They heard me. They know my personality. They feel like they already know me. And that just is, that just fast tracks a cold conversation to a hot one because they know me and they like me. Jake said it earlier. Like, are they going to relate to you? So I, I don't think that everybody needs a hashtag. Like, I don't think everybody needs a logo, but everybody does need to know their personal brand or at least what others are perceiving them as, whether it be family, coworkers, Perspective clients, like you have a personal brand. You need to decide if you like it. And if you do like it, how do you emphasize it?
0: Ah, great advice. By the way, congrats, recently hitched. Thank you. <laughs> Jake, what, What? Um, and, and Jeannie, real quick. When did you start? Did you say, was it 2012? When, when, when did uh, 401k lady first come on the scene?
2: So I've, I started posting videos, I think it was 2018 is when I really started posting videos and started using the hashtag in late 2018, but didn't start like branding them with a logo until
0: 2019. Okay. So it's, it's relatively speaking. Yeah. It's been pretty recent. It's not like this has been a, you know, a, you know, a, a, Ten years a in long the labor of love, if you will.
2: Yeah, Mm-mm.
0: And, and it helped you because you said you'd made a firm switch as well, right? Mm-hmm. Your, 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 your brand, if you will, Kind of traveled with you was was that helpful in making that switch and and that's probably relevant as well, Jake. With with you know you now recently moving over to SRP as well.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't have had this amazing opportunity to join SRP and be a part of this team. I don't think if I hadn't built my personal brand. I mean that absolutely played a part in this. And that's the point is you have a brand and whatever you're going to do with it, you don't know. I mean it just opens doors that you're not aware of could be opened. If you don't put yourself out there, so you'll find your own way to do it. And we all have brands in different circles of people, right? I grew up, you know, a runner and triathlete. That's what people knew me by. And I've kind of shifted now because I'm so busy. But now I'm known as the 401 K, like 401 Jake. Like I, every time I go somewhere, I have a K on, and it's like people just know that, and I don't have to bring it up. And if it is something they want to talk about, they know who to talk to. So it's a it's a blast, and you have to have fun with it. But more importantly, you just, you just have to trust yourself and not worry about other people judging you. That's really what holds a lot of us back in doing this and putting yourself out there is there's going to be haters and that's fine. Who cares?
0: Move on. <laughs> so that's a good question, actually. That's a, is. Do you guys think that every advisor, because every consultant says, you got you know, you to master social media marketing and all of this, and this is the new way and I love the fact, Jeannie, that you said, like, you know, I've kind of gone back to, like, cold calling people. You kind of, you know, you skate to where maybe the puck is going if, if from that perspective and do things that other people don't do, like fish in a different pond. That's, that's you know, if the pond's been overfished, find a new pond to fish in. But do you guys think that every advisor should be listening to conventional wisdom that the industry and marketing people say? Like, should every advisor be doing not the personal branding because you don't need to necessarily build your personal brand around social media marketing. But do you guys
1: think that every advisor should be doing social media marketing? 100%. I do. And, and you don't have to do it this, you don't, don't try to mimic other people, right? Like don't try to be somebody else, just be you. And that, and I tell advisors, it's either video written or word like written or voice, like which one do you want to go with? Start with one of them that you're comfortable. and you're going to suck in the beginning. That's okay. Like everyone does. That's how, that's how you get better is you have to just start at it. And when you suck, no one's really watching anyway. So it's okay. You're only going to get better and better. Right. Right. I'm sure when right. I finally get around to writing a book, it's going to suck and that's okay, but I will get better and better with my writing. And that's, that's important. So, and maybe it'll impact one person. That's cool. What do you think, Jeannie?
2: So I, I do agree that the, I'm going to say future or current. It, the marketing environment is on social, right? That's where you meet people where they already are. So I do agree with that. But I, I have the luxury of being a part of a partnership that I think is truly the best way to operate in this business. And, and you can't have all the skill sets. You can't be the marketer, the creator, the visionary and be the same person behind the scenes successfully guiding clients through their service issues. Mm-hmm. It's two entirely different skill sets. So I have, when, when people are asking like, do I need to do this? Do I need to do social? It's like someone on your team needs to be doing social, but i also try to encourage people. If you're not, if you don't enjoy it, if you're not naturally inclined to be a marketer, find somebody on your team who is like, don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole. So do I think every team or office needs to have a social presence? Yes. Do I feel like every advisor out there is wired to do this? No. So don't force yourself to do it.
1: genius is a secret it. weapon behind, behind the scenes. Brian is an amazing guy on her team and he, he gets stuff done.
2: I say all the time, the, the best thing that ever happened to me in my career was finding my lifelong business partner slash opposite at a young age. <laughs> um, we, just, we work so well together. We have the exact opposite strengths and weaknesses. So I have the freedom and the time to go do what I like to do. And he doesn't have to go out and try to drum up clients. Like he gets to do what he likes to do. I think it's the best model for the individual advisor. And I think it's the best model for the clients.
0: As Rocky said, Adrian, you got gaps. I got gaps together. We fill gaps,
1: yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. My first
0: Rocky reference on the Fiduciary you podcast. <laughs> Talk a little bit about, you know, I, I think one of the challenges being in a heavily regulated industry, right, is compliance. And uh, I think a lot of advisors probably struggle with the compliance element, right, from a lockdown perspective. Obviously, SRP is, is more open, certainly to the two of you. I don't know about everybody else. But what would be some advice that you guys have for advisors in terms of how do they make the case to compliance to kind of give them some freedom and some flexibility to be able to market on social?
1: Well, I was lucky because Jeannie paved the way for me at SRP. But if you have struggles, come check out SRP. But seriously, though, you're a salesperson, right? You're you're helping people hire you to manage the phone. Okay, I'm sure you can sit down and talk to your compliance team and sell them on the idea that you need to build a presence online, right? I don't think it's fair to just blame compliance. And, and when you ask someone about that, they haven't even sat down and talked to their compliance team about their vision and put together what they're trying to do with this content. So, you've got to start by just selling them on the idea. And that takes a little bit of planning. It takes a little bit of work. But what I have found is you can navigate that fairly quickly when you help them understand the big picture, right? And then you get a process in place and you work at it and you continue to go back and forth. And so it's just, it takes time and it takes work, but it's absolutely worth it. So, your compliance team, they just have to see these blanket no's all the time because most of them are overwhelmed. They have hundreds or thousands of advisors are trying to monitor. And if you're out there doing something crazy, which a few advisors have done that, and that's why we have these rules, that's why, like, you're not that person. So help them understand and trust that you're not going to do something that'll put them in a bad spot. Jeannie, what was the strategy
0: you went with to SRP to say, hey, let me, or or the fact that you had this presence was that kind of port and parcel to, hey, I'm going to come over, but if I'm going to come over, like, these are the things I'm gonna to need to be able to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, so my first piece of advice is it's straight shooter. And that is any advisor in this industry that has been here for less than 20 years and intends to be in marketing and social media. I don't know why you would be duly registered. I just, I don't. I, th- I think it's crazy. I know some people have trailing income, but like, I have yet to have a single person convince me that being duly registered is better. So if you're serious about this, you, you need to be looking at the RIA route and see if it's right for you. You know, I didn't always have necessarily the compliance flexibility that I do now. And so my strategy then was similar to what Jake said. Sit down and have a conversation and talk through it. But then I made a point to prove to compliance that I cared and I was listening and I would learn. So advisors get feedback like, oh, well, you can't do this and you can't say this. And they get super frustrated and then they just give up. I spent a lot of time re-recording videos. I spent a lot of time editing videos until I could prove to compliance that I understood where I could go and where I couldn't go. So part of it is the advisor putting in the effort to learn the rules and implement them on the reg. But I had such a history of doing that, that by the time we, you know, we made the move to SRP, I could say, look, this is what I do. This is important to me. And so like Jake said, I kind of got to pave the way where I had built the reputation that I wasn't going to say or do anything crazy, right? I learned the compliance rules and I follow them. So I think that's I think that's what you gotta show.
0: So what I hear you guys saying too, part of this is like any relationship you need to cultivate a relationship with compliance and you need to you know you, you need to try to understand their perspective and then do the work to let them know that you're a good citizen and that you're kind of hearing you know you, you you want to push but you don't want to push so far that you stray out of bounds you want to be able to try to cultivate a relationship take their feedback even if that means early on you have to build a reputation you, you have to go back and you have to re-record you're trying to kind of build credibility and trust with compliance that you know, you're know you not going to be a bad offender, if you will, but that you're going to do what you can to kind of work with them, recognizing that they have kind of responsibilities in their, their role that they need to take care of and, and trying to cultivate a relationship with them. Is that fair? It's
1: literally the exact same thing you do to win a 401k. Like, you just have to work on that relationship, show them, build some trust, do things that aren't selfish, bring value to them, and it'll work out. Like you'll get there. So, and another hack. So if you have to turn in scripts, I mean use Loom or descript and you don't want to read a script, because I noticed people that make those just you look terrible when you're reading it. Make the video, pull the transcript out of the video, you know, with one of those platforms, and then send that transcript in as your script to get approved. And you already made the video, work's done. So reverse it. You know, and, and then when you get approval, then you can post, right? So there's things just, that you can work on.
0: we are just write it in a Word document every Wednesday between 8 <laughs> and 12. That's the other way to do it. And have you guys found that as, and, and, and you know, maybe Jeannie to you, that, that as you kind of demonstrated trustworthiness, that compliance started to kind of give you some more freedom and flexibility and were less rigid?
2: No doubt. No doubt. I have the best compliance department in the world right now. But, you know, even even prior to the firm move, I was in conversations with GRP's compliance department. They were looking at my content, looking at my videos. And so they saw my track record again, right? They saw I was using disclosures. They saw I wasn't making definitive statements. You know, they saw it was educational. So, yeah, once once you prove to them, like, you're not going to be some rogue advisor, you get more flexibility.
0: Now, you guys do a lot of... and. Get back to education. Do you ever worry about people kind of, you know, stealing your content or like what, why, and you guys have, and you know, within the retirement community is, is pretty cool in the specialist community. It's a pretty tight knit collegial. There's a lot of friendships we all have, even though everybody's a competitor on some level. I think the really good advisors, what I hear time and time again, I know it was my philosophy over the years. And I, I think you guys would say it the same is that it, it, there's so much business to go around. Why don't you worry about competitors stealing your ideas or your stuff? Jake, why don't, why, why don't you start?
1: Honestly, for me, I'm not worried because I have more energy than like other people. Like, and, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and I get a lot of ideas. And I love to give away the, everything I'm doing because, like we talked about before, very few people will actually execute on what I'm telling them to do. So the risk of them following and doing what I'm telling them and winning a plan that maybe we're both going after is so small that it's better for me to share and lift all of us together and make sure that we're making the industry better together instead of keeping this secret. Because what I do isn't necessarily a secret. You can, you can access... We can all get the same record keepers. We can get the same TPAs. Where the value comes in is my ability to understand my client and and really consult with them and to put them in a plan of action that we're going to work through to make the best possible outcome that they're trying to chase. So I may have a different way to put something together than another advisor, but potentially we could come up with the same idea. So there's nothing that's that unique about what any of us do. But what is unique is what we really, how we, what motivates us and why we're actually doing this. And do we really care about our clients enough to do what's best for them? Or do we do something different? So, And, and maybe a better way to answer that,
0: and I appreciate that, that, that feedback and that maybe a better way to ask the question is, Jake, wh- why is it so, you know, one of the things I've admired about you is, is that you, you know, you do have this desire to help elevate other advisors to help, quite frankly, competitors get better. Like what, why is that so important to you?
1: Well, it it makes me a better advisor, right? If I'm out helping other advisors, not only am I... I'm trying to stay humble enough that I'm learning. I don't know. I need to learn so much more, right? And I'm constantly learning. That's what I love about this industry is you never know all of it. So for me, if I can help other advisors in areas that I feel like I'm stronger at, great. Let's do this together. It'll be more fun together than to be completely alone, thinking I have some secret weapon. It just doesn't exist. There's not... I don't as an advisor have some secret way that someone else couldn't pull off. So I love to see others succeed. I think that's the whole joy that comes with any coach or anybody that's doing something like that and mentoring, like, and as I meet other senior advisors that are, you know, near the end of their career and they love it, like they've made enough money. They're not really worried about that. What's motivating them them now is they want to see others succeed. So for me, I think that's just the natural progression that advisors take is they want to mentor others. And I I don't know, I just get a lot more fun out of that than other things in my career. That's great. What about you, Jeannie? Why, why,
0: Why is it so important for you to help elevate the reputation of the industry?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's funny you'd ask the question, like, are you worried about people stealing your content? Like, I've lost count of the number of people who come up to me and are and say that they have shown my videos or are like describing a Ross the way that I describe it, and they're like, "I hope you don't care." And I'm like, "Literally, it's fine. It doesn't bother me at all." You want to show a 401k lady branded video to your client? Like, I mean, like I'm okay with that. So practically, I agree with Jake. There's there's only so many clients that I can work with, and I want to work with. And we're at a practice now or a part of our practice growth cycle where we don't necessarily want to take on a whole lot of more clients. So I don't feel this like competitive need with Mm -hmm. others. I feel very strongly that clients are better served by 401k specialty advisors. So anything I can do to help another specialty advisor, I'm more than happy to do. That's the biggest thing for me. And just promoting, you know, retirement savings and bridging the gap and all those things. So it doesn't concern me. I, I believe strongly in elevating the industry, especially advisors, my peers on LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, please do jump up my su- subscribers on YouTube. Like, I have no complaints about that.
0: No, I think that I think that's great feedback. And that that you know that was always kind of my philosophy as well. as advisors get a bad reputation, right? In in a lot of cases, and and many times it's well deserved because there's a bunch of knuckleheads that are out there, but you know, I when, whenever I would lose a deal and it would happen from time to time, like if I was competing against really good advisors, obviously I wanted to win. But if I lost, I'm like, well, at least I know that the, the prospect is going to be in good, you know, going to be in good hands. Um, I can't tell you how many times over the years Janja Stout and I have gone way back and. You know, competed in the local market, which you know kind of sucked some That's of the time.
2: A tough one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times because of the respect that I had for her and for her team, where I'd come across a prospect and find out they were with them and I'd say, you know what, you're in really, really good hands. Like and and and, and prospects actually liked that. They they appreciated that. In some ways, it kind of validated. I mean, I did that with other really good teams. What really pissed me off though was when I would lose to someone who's a chump. And like, one, I would be, mad at, one, I would be mad at myself. Like, okay, I did not, you know, do a good enough job of educating the prospective client on, you know, so I was mad at myself, but then I was just mad in general. Cause I knew long-term that that company and their people were going to, have suboptimal outcomes cuz they were with somebody who didn't know what they were doing and I that was always the time I got most pissed off when I lost a deal was when not when I got beat by you know the Yankees it's when I got beat by like the JV mean that happened from time to time as well um and so this idea that as you know as more specialists win plans most importantly companies and their people are going to be better off but number 2 is it elevates the reputation of specialists out of the marketplace. And there's so much, instead of like trying to like beat each other's brains in against other really, really good firms, there's so many plans out in the marketplace that are with advisors that shouldn't be advising those plans. We need the marketplace to have a high respect for the specialist community. So I just really appreciate that about both of you guys, that commitment to to trying to help elevate, uh, to help elevate the industry
1: um, and there's where abundance. Like, I, I like that point I and mean, there's abundance and, and getting stuck on trying to win one plan because you got this opportunity there's yeah. 10 more plans out there that need your help right then so don't beat yourself up as an advisor that's what i did early on i put so much effort into every single opportunity and i would get crushed if i didn't get it and it was like why am i like don't try to convince them it wasn't anything i did just wasn't it didn't work out now right possibly will change in the future And so having that patience and that idea that there's plenty out there and moving on to the next one, that's the kind of mentality you need, which will help you actually be better in your presentations, better in your communication, you don't have this urgency of like, I got to convince them today. If I look at
0: most successful people in our industry, to a person, they tend to have an abundance mindset, not a scarcity mindset. 20 years ago, when I started at Morgan Stanley, like my first week, there was an advisor who was giving me advice and uh, he gave me like the worst advice ever. He said that he said, if you want to be successful in this business, he's like, you need to have this mindset. What's mine is mine and what's yours should be mine. And I was like, that's like the worst <laughs> way to live I've ever heard. And I, I, uh, I definitely don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want, want that mindset. Kind of as we wrap up, where do you guys get your, because you guys do create a lot of content. Where do you get your ideas? How do you go about sourcing ideas, Jeannie? Why don't you Why don't you start?
2: News cycle. You know, I I kind of have different avenues. Sometimes it's explaining a news story. A lot of it comes from client questions. We get asked questions all day, like, "Oh, let's well, they have that question. Let's answer the question." So, questions, news cycles, um, headlines, anything that. Catches my attention. I mean, I just kind of file them away, and I'm like, "All right, let's dig into that." And then I just, I just ask questions about it. Why is that? Why is that the case?
0: That's great. What about you, Jake?
1: Yeah, just in my daily process, just all day long, there's ideas hit me from either a client question or a meeting I had, or I'll go on my bike and I'll start listening to a podcast. There's something will pop into my head, and it'll sit there, and then I'll put it into my phone, make a note of it. I'll think about it for a few days. And some of those, I get, I throw them out. Like, yeah, that wasn't a good one. Then One will stick and it'll just not leave my mind. And I'm like, I got to get this out. And so I think one of the better things you could do, and honestly, one of the easiest processes to get content out for an advisor is to literally on your Zoom calls, because that's pretty heavy in our industry now, thanks to COVID, just set up your, your camera, like your phone while you're having a Zoom meeting, talking to an actual client and recording yourself in that real moment and taking little clips of you explaining something, you teaching something, actually doing it. Then you don't have to duplicate. You don't have to sit down and turn yourself into this content creator. You just have already made content all day long. That I need to do more of. I keep kicking myself because I keep forgetting to set up my camera and just do it. But like it's happening all around you all the time. And if you're learning something, that means there's probably a bunch of other people that can learn from that too. Yeah. Yeah, I think the superpower of
0: advisors in the future from a marketing perspective is... You don't have to be a great original thinker per se. You need to be a really good curator. And, you know, I think that, like you said, questions, headlines, news cycle, those ideas is constantly being on the lookout. And quite frankly, and and so this is really more for the advisor audience, is, you know, part of becoming a specialist is you, you, one, it's experiential. Like you can't learn this stuff in a book. Like the best way to learn is actually get clients and then, Try to solve as many problems for clients as possible, but also I think is you have to be a good student of the game. Right? You should be dedicating time every week to be reading articles that are out there, to be watching you know content and videos from other specialists. In some ways, you may be able to take you know an idea that you hear and then kind of formulate your own content based on that, or to be able to kind of curate that. Or well, a lot of times you may have a client that you've been talking to about something and. You know, maybe you pull a video from Jeannie or from Jake or from somebody else that essentially reinforces the exact same thing that you've been saying. That's actually a powerful thing you can do. And and I used to share content from other people, you know, with clients because it was more validation. Like, hey, I'm not the only one who talks about this. See, like here are these other places over here. So being able to kind of curate, and I think that's a good idea, create a, a running list of potential topics down the road is is a really really good suggestion i know for me my newsletter you know that i send out every couple couple of weeks i've got a you know a pretty big audience for that um and i usually do it when a new podcast comes out but usually in that newsletter what i will do is i will summarize like three or four articles out in the press provide a link to it but really my perspective and i think that's the other thing around content part of the benefit of generating content creating content is it helps you galvanize your own thinking. It makes you better. It helps you come up with your own set of beliefs or what you believe or why you don't believe it and being able to communicate that. At the end of the day, too many advisors try to sell information to plan sponsors and the clients. What they really want, they want your insights and those insights can be personalized to you. So that's just a couple of tidbits, maybe summarizing what Jeannie and Jake are saying for listeners. Just talk a little bit about now that you got, you know, at, at Gina, you've been at SRP for a while, Jake, you're now at at SRP as well. What's just kind of one of the things you love? Like why is SRP the right place for you guys?
1: I honestly, the culture and the people, like it is unreal. Like everybody wants to help everybody else, which is just not normal in industry. Most people just keep quiet, do their thing, put their head down. And everybody's giving up that way, but also, I think because we're all trained, we all have the same mindset that we're we're owners and what we're doing. We're building something that will bring value to our customers, but also to our families in the future. And so everybody is just all helpful because it's going to help all of us together. And I think the unique ability is we have just the most, some of the most talented people in all areas of the industry. And so if you don't know something, there's probably someone here that does, and they're going to help you do whatever you need to be ready for that meeting or whatever is coming up. And it's it's just unreal. And the collaboration is just the best.
2: Yeah, Jake's my like brother from another mother. Like our stories are so similar that of course mine are the exact same too. The people and the culture. I knew if we wanted to get better, Brian and I as a team, we needed to be surrounded by people who knew more than us. Like we needed to work with and learn from some of the best advisors in the industry. So just like, I thought I knew 401k before I came to SRP. And now I'm like, holy smokes. <laughs> like, this is what, you know, I needed to see. So just the professional elevation and knowledge and the wonderful people who are there to help you. Like, that's number one. Number two is, it's like Jake said, it's ownership. You know, we both didn't have ownership in the books we had built before. And I've always wanted to be a business owner. I grew up in a small business. And like like he said, building, being able to build something of value for mine and my partner, Brian's families and the future. And just just that feeling of pride that you get in, in that and, and just dedication. And it just means so much to me. I can't imagine ever not being a business owner again. Like I'm so proud of it and I enjoy it so much. And the fact that SRP has figured out how to connect those dots, because I, I don't know of another firm that has. I don't know of another firm that has managed to provide the collaboration and the integration and the communication while at the same time letting you do your thing like letting yeah. you build your book I'm sure there's one out there I haven't seen it I think we are a unicorn in the industry
1: yeah that's the key to it you can be as creative as you want to so even though we're all wrapped under one brand we have our individual brands we have our ability to do how however we want to do it in our markets but we're gonna also be able to rely on other people and see what they've done in their market and see if we can do something here that would help us. So it's just, it's amazing to have that kind of structure and that backing that resources, but also you have complete flexibility to run your own business. It's so amazing. you
0: kind of have, you kind of have freedom in a framework basically.
1: Oh, ah,
2: I like that.
1: <laughs> I got it from somewhere else. I think. <laughs> um, and our leadership team, I will say our leadership team is incredible for the fact that, they're allowing that. They they give you that flexibility, but they're also there to support and kind of mentor you at the same time, but not force you to do anything. So I, I just I've never had a, a situation like that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been an, a really good discussion. I, I so appreciate you guys. I have a ton of admiration for both of you, both in terms of, you know, content and output and all of that, but the commitment that you guys have to the industry and to clients and to participants. And and uh, I think this has been a super fun conversation. Where can people go to stay connected with each of you individually? Like what's the, if, if somebody's listening and they want to, they want to reach out, they have a question, like where, 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 what's the best way for them to connect with you? I imagine it might be on a social media platform, <laughs> but what's the best way to, to be able to connect with you guys or stay stay connected to what you guys are creating?
2: My favorite thing to say is just Google 401k lady.
0: Just Google it. The power of the brand.
2: Power of the brand. But um, yeah, I mean, most back and forth, if you will, would be through LinkedIn. So just connect on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, you can look me up. I'm, I've got a website. I've got. I'm on all social platforms, but LinkedIn's probably where I go to the most to direct message me there. It's the best place. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so
0: much. Hope you enjoyed the time. I think for the first episode ever, that was a multi-guest episode. I think all in all, other than Jake's team's call and Jeannie, you just getting up. I have team's closed. I don't know what happened. 60 seconds and disappearing. I'm like, what just happened? I think it was a raging success. So I appreciate it. Nice. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been great. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Jeannie Sutton and Jake Rushton from SRP. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryworks.com slash podcast. And while you're there, make sure to check out Fiduciary Rx, my new tech platform that helps retirement plan advisors diagnose, prescribe, and improve fiduciary wellness. Make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon, check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcast. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. So until next time, thanks again for listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast.